welcome back to the Broplist podcast. As usual, I'm joined with Nathan and we have plenty to get our teeth into. After what's been, you know, a bit of an up and down week for Middlesbrough, two games to talk about, plenty of games to preview and of course some listener questions to dissect as well. But firstly, Nathan, given that we were beaten at the weekend, how are you coping? Yeah, mixed emotions with this one. Uh, Obviously two games to get into, one win and one very disappointing defeat. Uh, I think it probably echoes the the, uh, the the reaction that this podcast is going to get, really. We'll be happy with the the, the initial result, but the, the ending of this podcast will be a bit iffy. I think uh, that's fair to say. Yeah, we should just quickly say, and of course, it's it's got to receive a little bit of credit from me, and I'm sure you know those watching on YouTube will appreciate it as well. But today it is uh, 18 years to the day that we won the Calling Cup. So, Nathan, please do us all a favour and show us what um, Borough Top you're wearing. Calling Cup winners won. Perfect. What a shirt. I just thought I had, you know, let you um, show that off a little bit. It is <laughs> a beautiful piece of kit. Um, but moving on to 18 years ahead now from that day, we are at the stage of the season where, you know, every game is crucial. And especially after the Bristol City result, we spoke about in the last podcast, you know, the West Brom game was probably, you know, built up to be as big as what it was because, you know, for me, it felt like Bristol City was the first real sort of disappointment um, under Chris Wilder. Now, I I know we'd been beaten prior to that off... um, Preston, which everyone kind of seems to forget about, but rightly so, because it was only, you know, the second game of Chris Wilder's tenure. And then Blackburn, which was a bit of a sort of slap back down to reality after such a good run. But Bristol was the first real disappointment. So it was, you know, crucial that we bounced back and and got ourselves a positive result. Going into the game, I think we probably expected more changes, but there was one change. But I mean, that was sort of enforced, wasn't it? Uh, Riley McGree in for Matt Crooks, given that he was suspended for the West Brom game, going back to Tuesday now, of course. Did you sort of expect changes up front? Because, you know, Connolly and Balligan kept their place, but I think a lot of people were quite eager to see some changes in the front too. Yeah, I did expect uh, some changes up front, really. Um, as we've said in previous podcasts, we we kind of both expect that the forward line will be interchanged quite regularly um, from now until the end of the season. And I think going on after that Bristol City game with Connolly and Balligan not really having too much of an impact in that game, changes were expected in the front two. But that wasn't to be. Chris Wilder stuck with the two lone players. And yeah, it was it was a strange, strange team sheet, I think, um, with many expecting changes. But yeah, good to see him agree in there. Um finally getting a, a first start uh, for Middlesbrough in the side after impressing at Bristol City on that Saturday. So, yeah, um, a, a decent enough team that could do a job against a West Brom side that hadn't been on the best run of form at all, hadn't scored a goal yet under Steve Bruce. Yeah, of course. Um, just a bit of a theme there, really, from Chris Wilder in the fact that, you know, it it is apparent now that even sort of, you know, as sometimes reactionary as, as what fans are 
he is, you know, I think he's probably a, a bit of a player's dream to play for because if, you know, say you have a bad game and, you know, I think it was quite apparent. I think probably Balogun and Connolly would admit that neither of them really pulled up any trees against Bristol. You know, they are, they still are rewarded with, you know, the faith that Chris Wilder does have in them because, you know, plenty of us, I'm sure, would have changed that front too. But then, you know, as I say, they were rewarded with a, a bit of faith and given another start. So I, I know it didn't quite work out for the sort of, some of the forward line um, as we progress through the game. But just, a, you know, something to pick up on there because Chris Wilder certainly trusts these players, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And it is important not to sort of batter the confidence either. Uh, we need everyone in this running. Now, the, the, the league is so tight and it, it's even tighter now after this weekend's set of results. So, yeah, everyone needs to be bang at it and hopefully fit and firing uh, in this running. Yeah, so moving into the game now, of course, um, and like many times this season and like many, you know, EFL sort of fan club podcasts throughout the leagues, we'll have had to talk about, we'll start our discussion with a hideous decision from an EFL referee. Um, Isaiah Jones down the right, as he usually does, you know, manages to get in behind a defence. Of course, he gets in behind the West Brom defence, going straight into the action. And to be honest, with his pace, I know, you know, referees aren't really taught to sort of look at it from individual perspectives because, you know, if it had have been Sol Bamba breaking in behind the West Brom defence, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people would have thought, well, there's no chance that he, he goes all the way and sort of scores um, after getting in behind. But Isaiah Jones has got the pace once he gets behind that back line to go all the way, you know, he's... he's essentially threw on goal given his pace he's brought down almost rugby tackled I think you could call it and yet nothing's given Nathan so I mean that decision I think I already know what your opinion's going to be on it because it was a dreadful decision but were you not just as shocked as what I was because I actually couldn't believe my eyes when this decision was given yeah it was uh, well nothing short of disgraceful that you can miss that and the linesman on the side as well um, Connor Townsend's wrapped both his arms around Jones's waist after Jones has took the ball down and is, is pretty much going through on goal and the referee decides to play on no foul, no yellow cards no possible red card even um, yeah, a, an awful decision by a referee and a linesman on that side as well that were abysmal all day, really. Even with just little little decisions, we'll get into the second half and things like that. And I'll, I'll speak then uh, on moments in the game that didn't really matter, but were still incidents that they missed that could have proved uh, very important in the game. But yeah, the standard of refereeing uh, pretty much in this country, never mind just at this level, is shambolic, really. Yeah, certainly isn't great, and it's probably a good job that you know, unlike Chris Wilder, we can say these types of things without being fined from the FA. Because you know, had you have been the manager, I think you may have just received a hefty check, massive uh, one, hefty fine through the post. Actually, so it's a good job you're not um, sitting <laughs> in the hot seat, Nathan. Um, from that decision, you know, it, I think Chris Wilder actually spoke about it after the game, and said, you know. 
it sort of got our backs up a little bit and, and it kind of showed in the performance, you know, there was a few sort of niggly little fouls and, and just decisions, as you said, that went on throughout that first half um, and throughout the game, really, but mainly in the first half where, you know, the crowd were getting the backs up a little bit and rightfully so because he, the referee just kept on getting small decisions wrong and wrong and wrong. And it, like Chris Wilder said, I think it affected our performance because I can't really remember after that, you know, small burst of pace from Isaiah Jones that we created all that much in the first half, to be honest. And um, because of the fact we didn't create a lot, it, it meant that West Brom probably, you know, you could argue had the better of the first half. And, and during that time where they did have the better of the, the first half, they did obviously take the lead. Um it all starts from, you know, quite a unlikely source, really, because Dale Fry goes up to win the header, and actually I think he heads it backwards, if I remember correctly. I think it's McNair or Fry. I'm sure it's one of the two. Right, yeah. Under pressure, under pressure from Andy Carroll, um, who, I mean, we all know what uh, threat he possesses. <laughs> but he sort of bundles his way through, gets to the byline, and you know, a real nail-biting moment. You know, I was expecting sort of Carroll to turn into prime sort of messy and just dink it over Lumley's head into the back. <laughs> you know, as he usually does when he turns up at the other side. But he didn't quite reach um, messy levels. I think he tries to cut it back and it's deflected out to uh, Jason Malumbi. Malumbi uh, then strikes it. And I think <laughs> it actually takes a little nick off Tav's foot which then beats Lumley and, and gives West Brom the lead. But quite a poor goal to concede from our perspective. Um, you know, given that really apart from that chance, West Brom didn't create all that much throughout the full game, really, not just the first half. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. It's becoming a bit a bit too regular, the goals that we concede being of a poor standard, really, and not necessarily because of the opposition's exceptional play, but rather Borough's own mistakes. Um, Fry gets caught under the ball and flicks it backwards. Um, Carroll gets the bad eye and crosses that ball. And McNair, slightly off balance, tries to clear it, but doesn't do it, doesn't do it justice and passes it uh, pretty much to Malumbi on a plate. And yeah, I think... We're quite unlucky that Tavernier is diving in, um, trying to get get there and make a block because it's took a slight nick off him and it's it's wrong footed Joe Lumley and ended up in the corner and Borough found themselves one nil down at home against West Brom side that hadn't scored yet under Steve Bruce in like three games, um, but yeah, from then on in that second in that second half of the first half really. Since conceding the goal, I didn't think Borough offered anything. Uh, I thought that the sort of the reaction to the goal was just Borough being flat and lethargic um, towards the end of that first half. And I felt if West Brom had recognised that we were there for the taking, they could they probably could have got a, a second and extended that lead. But yeah, in at the break at one nil and. and we had chances to uh, to change change the way we were set up and hopefully come out in the second half with a, a, a bit more bite about us. Yeah, as you say, a chance at half-time to change things around. I mean, just going into um, half-time 
um, sort of, as you say, the second um, sort of half of the first half, it was becoming apparent that the front two were just not working. They were, they were getting no change out of um, West Brom's backline. Kyle Bartley, of course, um, the physical presence that he is, seemed to be enjoying sort of just taking the ball off Aaron Connolly at every chance he really could have at taking the ball, I guess. Um, and Chris Wilder, again, um, going sort of back to a post-match after the West Brom game, I spoke about uh, Balogun dropping in and, and, and trying to receive the ball on the turn, almost like sort of playing in a 10 role. And, you know, I'm not saying that the service into Balogun was particularly good because it wasn't, you know, the ball was sort of pumped into him at some pace a number of times and just left Balogun with really either, you know, having to pluck out some unbelievable touch with a West Brom defender on him at all times, you know, at his backside trying to nip the ball. And it, it was just quite clear to see that that front two wasn't working at all because we weren't managing to get in behind the West Brom defence. And every time we come short, Balogun would just have the ball nicked off him. So for me, I was expecting changes at halftime. You know, we got changes very quickly after halftime, but I, I was quite amazed that, you know, Balogun and Connolly both were back on the pitch um, as the second half started. Going into the second half, of course, you know, the changes were made, what, five minutes in, I think it was. Um, Taylor and Balogun coming off for Watmore and Sparrow and a, a bit of a positional change at that point as well. Of course, Marcus Tavernier uh, drifted out wide to take up the left wing-back role, which we spoke about a little bit because he occupied that um, in the final sort of half an hour at, at Bristol City as well. And, and that's something that, you know, we both said we'd, we'd like to see a little bit more of. And um you know, maybe he's lucky, maybe he's our football knowledge kicking in, Nathan, who knows, I'm sure other people can uh, sort of judge that one for us. But it sort of turned out to be a little bit of a masterstroke, uh, Marcus Tavernier at left wing back, didn't it? Completely changed the game, didn't it? Um, Jones struggled to get all too much joy um, in that first half and in the second half as well. Uh, it, it, again, wasn't his... Best game, although we did get a goal down that right-hand side. Um, but, yeah, Tavernier is an option down that left. Sort of gave us that balance uh, to go down either side, have pace, a bit of trickery and ability to beat a man down both sides at that point. And it certainly changed the game in Borough's favour. Uh, chance creation was much, much greater in that, in that second half when the switch was made. And I think with... Sparrow and Watmore on the pitch as well at the time. I think the movement of those two helped create the chances um, as well. I think just in that first half, when when you play a side like West Brom that are defensively resolute, um, experienced centre-halves, you're not going to get much change out of them at all, um, especially two young, sort of inexperienced centre-forwards in Conley and Balogun. They're not going to pin players like Carl Bartley and Semi Ajay and, and, and turn them and, and beat them. The, we need more experience there from the off, really, to, to tussle with those players. And I think Sparrow and Watmore gave us that in the second half, really, and gave them a, a bit of a tougher time than they had in that first half. Yeah, as you say, I think the subs were needed at that point. And, you know, as I've previously mentioned, I was almost surprised that they weren't made sooner. But when they did come on, they sort of made a, an immediate impact. And, you know, although a lot of credit and rightfully so goes to, to Tav because, 
you know, he managed to stretch um, West Brom's team out on the left as opposed to sort of being a little bit um, sort of reliant on the right-hand side with Jones, as we also spoke about against Bristol. Um, but I think a lot of credit's got to go to Sparrow and Watmore because although, you know, they were being sort of pushed wide, the, the West Brom uh, back line, it also meant that the centre-halves were not sort of just occupied by, you know, people trying to go short, you know, Watmore and Sparrow exchange positions, you know, numerous times when they play as a pair. And Watmore, um, I mean, we all know by now, he, that man could run for England. Um, never stops, seems to sprint everywhere. Um, I can imagine him going for a pint of milk and just nipping out and sprinting to the local <laughs> corner shop, to be honest. He just seems to love sprinting more than the average sort of person. And uh, and his movement and Sparrow's combined with, as we say, you know, Jones and also having the threat from the left uh, with Tavernier sort of won us the game in the end. Just in terms um, of moving on to the equaliser before we, we talk about Tav, you know, making that immediate impact as the wing back, uh, absolutely superb threaded pass um, in behind the back line from Riley McGreg. So delicate, perfectly weighted with that left foot, of course. I thought he was excellent throughout the game. Um, and it's easy to sort of forget because, you know, Tav puts the ball in from up there, but just to set Tav away down the left, a, a really just pass full of quality, to be honest, from Riley McGreg. Yeah, it was. And to be fair, it was it was a good move as well. Again, we've seen Borough under Chris Wilder being patient in in attacking positions and it actually comes from us trying to work space down that right-hand side, Dyke Steele driving inside, but nothing opens up for him. So he knocks it back into house and on the edge of the box. They switch it out to, to McNair, McNair to McGree. McNair moves forward into an attacking position. McGree th- threads that ball through, which is fantastic. Takes um, takes the two West Brom players out the game with the pass. Tavernier again, just getting his head up, composed, ball across. And it was a pretty simple goal for McNair, just a tap-in. But it got us back into the game. Really well, really well worked goal and moments of quality. Again, get us back into the game there. Yeah, and at that point, it really felt to me, you know, um, I know, you know, given your university circumstances, you know, it's difficult for you to get back down during the week. But in the stadium, it felt like as soon as we equalised, you know, there was that change in atmosphere almost. And I thought, yeah, we're going to, despite in the first half, I must say, I thought I can't see us scoring because, you know, if that emphasises how sort of poor we were by our standards in the first half, I, I've genuinely thought, I, I just unless something drastic changes, which of course it did, I, I can't see us scoring. It just didn't have that feeling at all. Whereas when we got the equaliser, I thought, yeah, we're going to go on and nick this because, you know, the, the the momentum of the game changed and, you know, I tweeted out after the game just saying how grateful that we should be for Chris Wilder because, you know, he was proactive. He made the subs early on um, and, and that's what won us the game in the end, of course, with some, you know, brilliant um, individual pieces of, of skill and ability. But the changes and the change of shape, you know, Conley sort of dropping into that 10, um, and Sparrow and Watmore really just change the complete face of the game, as I say. Moving on to what turned out to be the winner, um, Anthony Dysteel sort of 
turned into sort of um, 2009-10 Cristiano Ronaldo, didn't he, on that right-hand <laughs> side. Um, stepped in. Megs, I can't remember who it is now. I think it might be Townsend on the left. Um, yeah, flicks it through his legs, yeah. Comes inside, it's sort of, I don't know where he's been hiding them sort of skills um, the last few weeks. Manages to get inside, uh, nudges it into the path of Jones and sort of that same scenario that we've seen so often this season, Jones breaking down the right and ready to square the ball back to whoever's arriving and in the box to get another assist. It sort of trickles past Watmore. I think he actually gets a touch on it and it's just slightly behind him. Uh, it flicks into the way of, of Tav and he fires in back across the keeper and, and, and runs off and celebrates, of course, giving us the lead. But one thing, you know, we've got to give credit to Dykesteel and Jones and, you know, I don't think what more, although he might claim the assist, you know, I think that's certainly a technicality rather than something that he's tried to do. But one thing I noticed, especially actually with Tavernier moving to wing back and, you know, the cross, the assist for McNair's goal and, you know, the, the goal that he scored that won us the game, we have spoken, and, and so has everyone else really, an awful lot about Tav, you know, going through sometimes one-on-one or getting the ball on the edge of the box and, and firing shots and just getting his end product wrong. But something which stood out to me is both times and, and both goal contributions on, on Tuesday night against West Brom come through just doing things um, as they come to him rather than, you know, sometimes I do feel that Tav sometimes when he has a little bit too long to think about, that's where he sort of lets himself down. Whereas in the left wing back position, it sort of allows him to do things sort of as in a second nature almost, you know, doing things off the cuff as opposed to overthinking it. And, you know, he's managed to get himself a goal and assist. And perhaps, you know, moving forward, I'm sure we'll speak to greater lengths about having that left wing back position. But do you think that helps him, the fact that he's he just got to make that quick decision rather than, you know, when he's in midfield, maybe he's taking that extra touch or sort of thinking, should I shoot, should I pass? Um, you know, do you think that left wing back position almost helps him make those decisions in, you know, quicker and, and more effectively? I think certainly in the moments that were given to us um, with that McGree pass and then the ball across, I think Tavernier's done well in those moments there because he doesn't have too much time to think um, about what he can possibly do apart from either shoot or get a ball across. Um, I think he does particularly well there. Um, but on the on the whole, I think sometimes he just tries to do a bit too much, um, which is, is fine, I suppose. He's just trying to uh, do his best for the team, try to drag the team on his back, but he doesn't necessarily need to do that. Um, I think... We don't really need to have star men in this side. I think everyone is pretty much equal in this side, and yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that um, he needs to sort of force things as much as much as he has he has in, in in past times, because in the last month or so, I think he's probably been one of our standout players. Really, I think he's really come into his own. His decision making's been pretty much spot on in, in every case, really. Um, and yeah, he was rewarded with a goal and an assist. And I'm, I'm sure that won't harm his confidence at all. 
Yes, yeah, certainly. And I mean, sort of from that point, you know, we had um, not really, you know, huge clear cut chances, but had, you know, the occasional half chance. And, and to be honest, I expected West Brom, given, you know, Carroll and some of the physical threats that they have, a lot more of a sort of physical task to, you know, keep the ball out of the goal for the last um, part of the game. But there wasn't really that onslaught that you'd sort of expect. And I don't know if that's down to sort of West Brom and Steve Bruce's lack of sort of idea of a pattern of play. But certainly, you know, there was the occasional long throw, but nothing really that sort of troubled us all too much. And of course, we we grind out that result and, you know, it's a massive result. As I say, it felt almost bigger because of the previous result. Um, but, you know, we, we've just spoken about him, but without um, advancing through to the Barnsley game yet, that change of system to have it left wing back, let's just talk about that because, you know, as we say, we've, we've praised him to the hilt there and, and, you know, he got his rewards whilst he was in that position. Do you think once we have Riley McGree back and Crooks that that could become a permanent fixture? I think it's certainly an interesting question. I think that given his performances there, his, his cameos really at Bristol City and and against West Brom, um, I think that he certainly made a case for himself in that position. Um, but we can't forget about his performances in midfield either. Uh, his energy in there, and his decision making of late's been fantastic. So I think he's he's really uh proven himself as a mainstay in that midfield as well. Uh, I think coming into this weekend now against Luton um in the league, Baller is back as well in training this week. So now there's Baller as an option, Taylor, and of course Tavernier to play in that position. So we have three options there that can all be weighed up um, in terms of their end product, their energy, their defensive attributes as well. And yeah, I think Chris Wilder's certainly got options in that position. He's got options down, as Woodgate would say. But yeah, um, yeah, I think with the midfield three, we're coming back now to a, a, a pretty much fully fit squad. Um, Crooks, of course, back from suspension now as well. So he fills in that right uh, right side of the midfield role. Um, House will probably drop deeper again. And then, of course, you have Tavernier. McGree could fill in, in in that position as well that Tavernier usually plays if Tavernier was to move to left wing back. So we, we certainly have options. And I'm certainly not opposed to seeing Tavernier at left wing back again because he put in a fantastic performance in that second half against West Brom. Yeah, certainly. And I, I think, you know, moving on from... From a real high point of the week to, unfortunately for us, a real low point at, at Barnsley. And, you know, we'll, we'll go through the game and, and discuss the goals. But going into the game, it felt all too perfect. You know, we'd managed to grind out that result on Tuesday night. You know, Barnsley, bottom of the league. Um, although they had slightly picked up form going into the game, you know, you still look at that team that's had... I think before the weekend, um, only two home wins, I want to say. I think they've only scored, you know, a handful of goals this season. And by handful, uh, you know, that's no over-exaggeration. They really have been that poor. Um, of course, going in to 
uh, Saturday's game. There was changes, um, of course, given that uh, sort of the changes uh, in the West Brom game, you know, won us the game, as I said. Um, Sparrow, Watmore come in, as you sort of expect. And then when that team lineup comes out on a Saturday at two o'clock, you know, you look through the names and as as always, you sort of see the back line, you see the goalkeeper, it's just your usual team. You see Sparan Watmore, you think, yep, I'm happy with those, you know, they, they made the impact, they, they deserve their place in the team on Saturday. And then almost a, a foreign object sort of appears from nowhere where you think, is that is that a typo or James Leostaliki in the starting eleven? Um, a real shock to I think everyone to be honest. You know, Riley McGree um, out with a I think a slight muscle strain or, or something like that. Um, nothing you know that's going to keep him out for for the long haul. But certainly when when you saw that team and I, I know as soon as I seen the team I, I sent you a message saying where's that come from. A, a real, real shock to see the almost forgotten man. You know, he'd been nearly shipped out. I think we failed to sort of manage to terminate his loan or, or get another club to take him on loan, uh, James Leasaliki. And then he finds himself in the starting eleven on Saturday. A, a real shock, Nathan. Yeah, it was um, a, a real spanner in the works, really. Uh, looking at the, the line-up, as you say, on my phone in the concourse at Barnsley, and I'm thinking, where's McGree? Where, like, not on the bench either, not sure. Um, and it comes out that he's got that muscle strain. Um, Saliki in midfield, I really just thought that he'd be picking up Crooks's usual position um, a bit further forward in front of Johnny Housen, um, who would sit a little bit deeper. But when we get into the game, that just wasn't the case at all. Um, he was um, playing in that Housen role, which was strange with Housen playing further forward in the, the that right-sided um, midfield position um, that Crooks would usually slot into. And yeah, it was it was a real real shock um, to to see him in there. It just thrown in to a to a big game um at a ground where or Borough's record's absolutely diabolical. Um and yeah, it just felt like it could either go really, really well or really, really badly. And within 20 minutes it was uh it was apparent which one that was going to be. Yeah, it almost had a, a little bit of a feel, you know, um, JLS, because I, I don't really want to sort of keep on saying his full name. Um, coming into the team, had a little bit of a Adlen Guardiola, Preston away a few years back. Um, sort of just the forgotten man just appearing in the starting eleven. Um, it, You know, and I mean, that I can't really remember that going too well, actually, looking back. Although, did we win that day, Preston away, when Guardiola started? We did, but he got hooked at half-time because we were 2-1 down. Yeah, well, I mean, very similar when you look at it that way, I suppose. Um, f- unfortunately for us, we didn't have the same second-half performance as we did that day. But, um, you know, going into the game now, quite a startlingly bad 
start to the game, really. You know, often this season we've started quite brightly. Um, and if we haven't started brightly, it's never been, you know, a real, real bad start. Whereas, you know, I felt at Oakwell, it was a real, real bad start. Um, I think it's best to just go to Barnsley's opener, to be honest. Um, they whip a corner in it. It's defended well. It then goes out uh, back to Barnsley and, and the ball gets switched. And then, you know, Isaiah Jones gets out. I don't want to say half-heartedly, but, you know, sort of jogs out to try and close the cross down. The cross then comes in, reaches the back post, and it appears that the whole of Pora's backline are playing stuck in the mud. And Mads Anderson just heads in completely unmarked. And at that point, the Oakwell curse just felt all too real, didn't it? It did. Um, stood there as it happened, watching the ball sail over the uh, the green wall that decided it wasn't going to move. Um, and yeah, Anderson has a, a simple task just to nod that one in. Nods it in the far corner. 1-0 Barnsley, six minutes on the clock. And it was the start of a, a very, very, very bad day um, for, for Borough. Um, yeah, just really a case of if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Yeah, and I think, you know, once they had got their opener, you expected sort of Borough to, to wake up and really think, you know, you know, we've had bad starts. And as I say, this was, you know, really, really bad by sort of Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough standards. Um, but they, they sort of didn't really wake up. And, you know, I, I remember um, earlier on this season, Neil Warnock actually uh, talking about some of the, the players' habits prior to the games and, and talking about something when they were, you know, missing breakfast. And I think it was apparent that none of, none of them must have had the breakfast on Saturday morning um, and just, you know, forgotten to sort of, do the basics of, of what we have done for so long under uh, under Chris Wilder and and got you know massive success from it. Um, Colton Morris up top for Barnsley, uh, you know a big strong unit. Everyone in the championship knows what ability he has, and he was you know it almost felt to be honest like he was bullying our full back line, um, and he was causing us problems um, every time the ball went forward. He seemed to you know win the flick or bring it down on his chest and, and bring others into play. And he, he continued doing that all up until um, Bassey doubles the lead for Barnsley. Um, I think it is a, a punt forward, and you might correct me on this, and, and Morris is involved, it comes to Bassey. And then, you know, very unlike Dale Fry, I must say, you know, I'm a huge fan of Dale Fry, but, you know, makes a, some sort of attempt to try and stop Bassey. He sort of skips past him onto the edge of the box and cuts across it into the far corner. It sort of P-rolls into Joel Umley's goal. And we're 2-0 down after, you know, probably the worst first half of, of Chris Wilder's tenure. In fact, I, I should I'm saying probably definitely the worst first half of Chris Wilder's tenure. And at 2-0 down, you think, now, uh, as much as this team can sometimes, you know, create chances and score at will, it's always, always difficult once you go two behind. And, you know, there was, rightly so, you know, a lot of criticism 
um, as soon as that second one hit the back of the net. I mean, what was your reaction stood in that away end at Oakwell? Because it, it, as much as JLS come as a shock, that first half performance come as an even bigger shock to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It made me want to go home, if I'm honest. Um, I'd just just lost for words watching as it happened, really. Um, Chris Wilder said in that pre-match press conference on Friday that this game would be won and lost in the dressing room. If the players weren't up for it, Barnsley would dominate us physically and they'd be up for it. They'd be up for a fight. And in that first half, it looked like none of our players wanted it. None of our players wanted to be first in the tackle and have physical battles with the, with their men. They didn't look like they wanted it at all. Saliki played in that position where Housen usually plays, was hiding. He didn't want the ball off the centre-halves when they had possession of the ball. In fact, he was coming into positions where there was already a green, a player in green. He was stood next to Housen or stood next to Tavernier as they were making options, trying to pick the ball up. Um, I felt like Jones struggled in that first half. I felt like the fullback really, uh, apart apart from that second half where he's dragged Jones down, probably had Jones uh, had Jones's number on the day. Really, um, I thought he did quite well to to cope with his pace. Um, and down the other side, really, we 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 lacked threat. Um, Taylor's not going to be beat a fullback for pace, really. Um, I felt like really the only player that wanted to get on the ball and look to try and create was Tavernier. Um, Spira, pretty much anonymous in that first half, really. Um, everything that went up to him got headed away by Helic and Anderson. And Anderson. I felt just really to a man, Barnsley were winning their individual battles and our players didn't want it at all. And at 2-0 down, I felt that we were lucky to go in at half-time 2-0 down and still have a slight possibility of getting something out of the game at that time. Um, after seeing changes made at half-time on Tuesday night, I felt like Wilder would make changes at half-time, which he did, and I felt like they could change the game. But, yeah, it certainly wasn't our day. And Orkwell stays as that that horrible, horrible bogey ground for Borough. Yeah, I think you put it nicely there when you said, you know, Barnsley's players were simply just more up for the fight than, than what Middlesbrough um, were on Saturday. And, you know, we speak about Saliki just quickly because, you know, of course, he, he come off at half-time and, you know, from from now on, I, I think it would be very surprising to ever see him probably put a Middlesbrough shirt on again, to be honest. I think it sort of, you know, signals the end, certainly after, you know, probably we all thought his time was already up at Middlesbrough. I really can't see him ever pulling on a, a Middlesbrough shirt again. But for me, the most confusing part of it was, you know, Housen was in the team. It wasn't as though Housen was missing from that midfield three that we've seen, you know, of Housen as the sitter in that three, um, Tavernier on either side and, you know, either whether it be McGree or, or Crooks. Uh, and we, we've seen success in a lot of the games. And, and one thing I will say is, 
I thought even against West Brom, um, we did come out on top. I thought he massively missed the physicality of Crooks in midfield. And again, I felt we missed it against Barnsley because they won that midfield battle um, on Saturday. But the, the confusion point really was that, as you said, Saliki, for me, and from what I've seen of him, and to be fair, you know, none of us really have seen all too much of him because it hasn't quite worked out the loan move. Um, but I always felt that he would be more suited to, to playing in one of those, you know, more advanced or certainly um, less deeper than what he was positions. And it it just confused me, to be honest, because his his skill set, I guess you could call it, does not suit, you know, getting round the pitch as, as much as what Johnny Alson does, breaking up play, just being that sort of, you know, annoying player that no other midfielder wants to play against, just putting out fires um, around the pitch. It is more suited to... And, and from what we've heard as well, even prior to him joining Middlesbrough, was, you know, someone that, that links the play from midfield to attack and, you know, has a, a range of passing. But him playing in that deep line midfield role just did not work at all, did it? And, you know, I, I think in the end, to be honest, I say we miss Crooks as... as um, physical presence. I, th- I think Saliki, as much as you know, it was partly him as well. It, it almost felt like he was sort of bullied um, out of the midfield, and of course, he paid the price for that and, and was substituted at half time, which you know, I think everyone was expecting, to be honest. Yeah, there were. Um, I think really the standout moment for me in the first half that summed up pretty much the performance. Saliki gets the ball, played into him in our half with himself facing our own goal. He takes one touch that doesn't come out of his feet. He takes another touch that gets the ball out of his feet but doesn't send him in a direction apart from getting it out of his feet. And by the time he's ready to take that third touch to eventually get it out of his feet in a direction, two Barnsley players were stood on him ready to nick the ball off him in an attacking position and get straight out of back line. And they did so and, and nearly scored, actually. And from what I've seen of Saliki, I don't want to batter him too much. But at Coventry, when he first made his debut, I thought that he has ability to pass the ball well, but it felt like that day at Coventry... He needed to get up to up to sort of the tempo of the championship and realise that you're not going to have all the time in the world to dilly-dally on the ball. And he still hasn't learned that, um, I don't think. And yeah, as you say, I don't think that he'll probably feature for Chris Wilder um, ever again, really. Um, I thought that probably if McGree was fit, he, he would have been the uh, the man to play instead of Saliki and Housen would have of course played in his usual position but injuries injury and suspension um, sort of disrupted the full system um, on Saturday and yeah the first half was absolutely dreadful and, and the worst worst first half performance certainly that I've seen under Chris Wilder so far, which was very, very disappointing. Yeah, and obviously, you know, 
as we see, I think it's silly. He, we don't want to. I don't think we ever want to, you know, really go overboard and, and batter a player because you know, silly. I guess you could, in his side of things, you know, he'll probably be thinking he had limited minutes um, at the Africa Cup of Nations. He hasn't really been given a chance at all to get up to speed uh, whilst he's been at the club. So, you know, perhaps you could look at it that way, but. I think it's just evident, as we say, that he's probably not going to get up to the pace, and that probably will be the last that we see of him uh, in a in a Borough shirt, um, probably forever now. Um, but he was substituted uh, at half time, um, as was Duncan Watmore, which out of the two up top, I felt. You know, either could have really gone off. I, I don't think either particularly really done themselves any favours. Um, but it was Watmore that was sacrificed. Balogun and, and Connolly come on the pitch. And in fairness to Balogun, after, you know, quite a poor um, first half and performance against, against West Brom, I, I thought he'd come on and, and look lively um, early on in the second half. He, he hits the post, um, gets through... And to be fair, on his left foot, and you know, he seems to always have uh, chances that fall onto his left foot, despite him being a right-footed player, which you know is slightly frustrating. But I guess it's just the sort of positions that he takes up. Um, he he hits the post, quite unlucky to be fair, because I think he's beaten the Barnsley goalkeeper, and it, it comes back off the woodwork. And then after that, you know, you kind of for that split second, you think, well. You know, we've managed to create one chance. Obviously, I'm sure Chris Wilder would have given every single player a bit of a rocket up, you know, where at half time. And, and you expect Borata then go on and, and you know, get that goal and get themselves back in the game. But actually, it was it was quite the opposite. And, you know, a comedy of errors later and you're 3-0 down at Oakwell uh, to bottom of the league, Nathan. Yeah, um, I think that moments before that... Um, but I can't remember if it was moments before that or whether it was after after Barnsley's third. But Spira getting played through with half of the pitch to run, pretty much. And it just takes too long, plain and simply. Um, it, it's poor play from Andras, if I'm honest. He needs to get that shot off sooner. Um, I think it was... Britain that got back and and tackled him, but yeah, it was it was certainly an, another missed opportunity um, at, at two down to get us back into the game and, and and yeah, as you say, a comedy of errors really um, lead to that to that third. Um, Borough on the attack, of course, uh, at the start of that second half, looking to create. Um, create a way back into the game and the ball gets cleared to halfway. Borough have committed a lot of men forward, obviously trying to get one back. And the ball is not really travelling at a difficult sort of pace or trajectory um, towards Anthony Dykesdale on halfway. And he gets it all wrong, uh, which is... Very, very poor, really. Um, he needs to get that under control. And then the comedy of errors that precede that don't 
uh, don't ha- actually happen. But yeah, Bassey, who was a threat all day, really uh, chases after after the uh, the loose ball into Borough's half. Dyke Steele, to be fair to him, does well to get back, and I thought he was probably going to drag Bassey to the floor, if I'm honest. Um, but he does well to get back, get goal side, but doesn't deal with Bassey. And he sort of strikes a shot that he's off balance when he hits the shot. Um, he's just trying to hit something towards goal. Lumley's sort of come out and tried to um, sort of make himself big, I suppose. And he's kept his legs wide open and it's just slotted through his legs and P-rolled into that end opposite the away end at Oakwell. And from then on, it was just sort of game done. Game done. Borough weren't going to find themselves... Uh, a way back into this game at all. Um, I think that at three, it, it's game done. Two, it would have been difficult. Three, finished. And yeah, the, the away end sort of just had any little bit of hope that was left after Balogun striking the post and and Spira going through on goal, it had that hope completely sucked out of it. And yeah, the away and certainly fell silent. Yeah, and no, I guess we can we could talk about the goal for, for an age really and, and pick out small moments. Um that have that resulted in, you know, as you say, if, I think the, the football in turn really would be a, a P roller, to be honest. <laughs> To, to go through Joe Lumley's legs. And as you say, it's, it's disappointing from Dyke Steele. Um, you know, I think we've got it, as we've spoken about last podcast, again, um, you know, Lumley's under a lot of criticism at the moment, once again. Um, but, the you know, that chance doesn't happen if Dyke Steele just simply controls the ball on, on halfway which you would expect him to do. Of course, he doesn't do that. And, you know, although he gets back in, as you're saying, and sort of holds um, Bassey back a little bit and prolongs him getting that shot, I don't think Lumley really particularly does himself any favours. He sort of, if anything, when he should be limiting the chances of him scoring, actually increases the chances of him scoring, the, the position that he takes up and the stance that he goes for, which is, you know, certainly a confusing one when you watch it back but you know of course it's easy for us to say that as you say from that point onwards it never really truly felt like we could get anything out of the game we do get back into the game however um, with a a consolation it looked like really for me Uh, Jones as you say beat his full back and brought to the ground Sparrow then steps up, sticks a penalty away, um, quite calmly dispatched, in fairness, you know, a decent penalty. And then really the moment where I felt, you know, if we are in the second half, to be honest, as soon as the third went in, you know, classic pessimistic Middlesbrough fan that I am, thought, well, that's that done, to be honest. But 
when Connolly hits the back of the net um, before obviously the flag goes up for offside, you know, there was a slight sort of twinkle inside of me that thought we couldn't, could we? But, you know, once that gets given offside, you do think, yeah, just settle yourself back down and relax because we, we are not clawing back three goals, never never mind four goals and, and going on and producing something like magical as though, you know, I, I hoped in my head at the time. Um, but actually probably poor on Connolly's side because, you know, Ness strides through sort of the, the Barnsley half and Connolly just needs to keep his line because there's no one marking him to his to his left, um, and that's where the space is created. If he manages to just hold on, and you know, I'm I'm sure he's eager to impress and you know put that chance away. And it's actually not a bad finish. He goes back across the the Barnsley goalkeeper, um, and it goes in. But a little bit naive there, perhaps, just to go too early. Do you think? Possibly, yeah. Um, I felt. That's uh, that twinkle that you're talking about. I did, I did have a moment where I thought that, yeah, I thought that we could have been back into it when when the ball did hit the net. I made the stupid decision to jump up and celebrate before looking at the linesman. Um, I, I did jump up and sort of give it a, a come on, Borough sort of thing. But yeah, looked at the linesman and just sort of. <laughs> shook my head and just sort of laughed to myself and thought, what a dial you look like now. Um, but yeah, we, we certainly did have chances. Connolly had another one as well um, that really should have struck first time down the right-hand side. Uh, Dyke Steele and Jones creating creating chances. Ball comes across. Connolly should just hit it first time on his right foot. Decides to take a touch. Um with his back to, to turn himself back to go with his back towards goal and then tries to fire a left footed shot and he sails it right into the away end. Just for me, just hit it first time, you know, that near post, uh, with a bit of whip and bend on it. But yeah, I think really after that offside goal, we, we knew it wasn't going to be our day. And I, I actually, to be fair, uh did did say to uh, to my brother that was with me, I said, "This game will be three two, and we'll score with ten seconds left on the clock." So. Yeah, and you were correct. Um, it's a shame you didn't sort of put put that on as a as a bet to to claw back any sort of um, good good feeling and sort of any mood because I can imagine that <laughs> that back from Barnsley was, you know, it's not a, a huge journey by any stretch of the imagination, but it probably felt double the time that it actually took because of that result, I can imagine. Well, yeah, um, just just a, a quick sort of diversion. I thought, right, I'll check my uh, my, my train back, see which platform I'm on. Um, on on Saturday, I checked it at halftime. Comes up, train cancelled. Thought, this day is just brilliant. Like, it is absolutely brilliant. Uh Anyway, literally, for anyone that knows Oakwell and that away end, that hill where all the coaches park and the, the the train stations on the other side of that hill, I had a horrible, horrible jog up that hill as the full-time whistle blew and made my earlier train with literally a minute to spare. So sort of made me... a. Uh, feel a bit better about myself that but 
yeah, we'll, we'll get back into the 40 now anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse, I suppose. I didn't actually know anything, but had you have missed your train, that, that really could have been, you know, a, a day from hell, to be honest. Um, you know, as you say, you expected us to, to get that second goal um, and make it 3-2 with, with little time remaining. Of course, we did do that. Uh, that was after Balogun had time to hit the post again. Another left-footed strike that Cannon's back off. And, you know, the Barnsley keeper's beaten, but as sort of expected on a day um, like Saturday, or, well, it just it just wasn't a day. Cannon's back off the post. And then later on, Dyke Steele flashes one across the box and under pressure from Dale Fry, the Barnsley player, turns it into his own goal. Um, and that's that really 3-2, um, a disappointing defeat, you know, I guess the only positive you can take is that we scored two again, but you know to counter that we've conceded three at bottom of the league, so that's the major concern. At this point of you know Chris Wilder's tenure, it's been overwhelmingly you know positive. Um, there's a few sort of you know the Bristol game and um, Saturday's game that, that have crept in, and you know even the West Brom goal that we conceded, it's become a little bit of late that perhaps, and Chris Wilder said it himself in in the post match press conference that actually, you know we're all sort of very good and, and nice when we have the ball at our feet. You know we can. You know, once upon a time, it would have actually been us being able to create chances, which would have been the problem. That's no longer the problem. And actually, as of late, I think we've probably become a little bit too easy to, to attack against, actually. And the manner of goals that we've conceded of late have been, you know, really sloppy and goals that, you know, us watching back at fans, you know, it's, it's horrible to see. But as a manager, I'm sure Chris Wilder um, looks back at it. At the three goals against Barnsley and, and the goal against the goals against Bristol, I should say, and the goal against West Brom, and just think something needs to change there because they're, they're not goals that a team trying to make their way in the playoffs should be conceding at all. No, I I agree, um, and it sounds like Chris Wilder agrees as well. Um, in his post match post match presser, he was a uh, very very sort of vocal about his. His dismay um, at the defence, really, for for the goals that we conceded. Um, there's no way that Anderson should be let uh, let go as a free man uh, to nod that first one in. No one going out to close Bassey for the the second, and everyone will will point to the goalkeeper as well. Which, upon reflection. Uh, and, and replays of the goal, I can see why. I think it is poor goalkeeping as well. And the third, I think everyone will look at the third as, as the worst goal conceded all day, really. Um, how Dyke steals miscontrolling the ball on halfway when he's the last man is incredibly, incredibly poor, really. Um, it, it's not acceptable. Um, for a team that is looking to to be in that play, in those playoffs and towards that top end of the division, uh, so yeah, the 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 touch is is awful, and and then the goalkeeping again is is incredibly incredibly poor um, once again. Um, 
So, yeah, hopefully in the coming weeks we sort of get back to basics with defending and just do the simple things better because it, it's certainly not going for us, uh, going well for us at the moment defensively. Um, the goals we've conceded, as I said earlier on in the podcast, is more from our own making than, than other teams being exceptional going forward, which certainly needs to change in this in these next few weeks. Yeah, and you know, as you say, Chris Wilder certainly wasn't happy. I think the quote was that had he been able to make um, as many changes as he would want, he would have took the whole back five off at halftime. And, and to be honest, you know, not really what you'd expect from from certainly the the back five um, that we we've seen for the majority of the time under Chris Wilder, because you know it, it would be hard to pick faults in in any of them really. Um, but certainly errors have crept in of late, and you know we we can't keep on as good as we are going forward and creating chances. We can't simply just keep on relying on the likes of Jones and and some of the forward players plucking out these moments of brilliance once we are sort of two and, and three goals down because it'll, you know, as we've seen against Bristol and as we've seen uh, against Barnsley on Saturday, it'll become too late to, you know, claw back the game and, and results and points will start to slip away from us. Um, in terms of the defence, one thing that, that really caught my eye um, on the actual club uh, post-match interview that Chris Wilder done was, you know, he, he spoke about some of the sort of more nitty-gritty um, parts of defending and, and just in terms of, you know, clearing the lines, winning first headers, winning first battles and, and just doing the simple things, as you put it earlier. And, you know, one change perhaps that, you know, that would signal towards me as um, Lee Peltier coming back into the team now. I know, of course, in you know the manner in which we play, you know we we do play out from the back. We put a lot of trust into the the wide centre backs in in the three. Um, but perhaps it it might take you know someone of of Peltier's um, skill set, where yes, he's not you know great on the ball, and I think everyone can can see that by now. But certainly, you know he'll win his first tackle, he'll win his first header, and he he'll always really give you a solid performance, uh, touching wood, if he does come into the team, that he doesn't make a, a mistake, you know, that we have seen. Is that something that you perhaps would look at just to maybe for a few games or, you know, for the for the foreseeable future? I'm not, I'm not sure. Do you think the defence deserve that? Um, but certainly as an option, uh, maybe sure us up a little bit, would you be against sort of Peltier coming back in and, and being that defensive force that he is? I think it's probably worth a look. Um, we have a cup game this week, of course, coming up, which is sort of, I don't want to say getting in the way of our running, but it's probably the last thing we need at the minute um, with a big game coming up on Saturday as well. And I think if you're going to experiment with, with some sort of um, personnel changes, I think it's probably the time to do it This in, in the midweek game against Spurs. We're going to be probably defending for pretty much 90 minutes anyway. Um, so it, it'd probably be worth a look if Peltier was to drop into 
I'd imagine Dyke Steele's position. Um, so I think if you're going to do it, do it in, do it in midweek rather than uh, a league game on Saturday. But yeah, Dyke Steele, despite his um, magnificent magnificent piece of play against West Brom uh, to get us that second goal, I think he's been slightly off it in the last few weeks. If I'm honest. Um, at Man United, I felt like he, he struggled, but of course, that that's um, expected playing against superior opposition. Yeah. Um, but in other games as well, he, he's looked probably the most uncomfortable out of the back three um, on the ball, really. And yeah, I think Peltier defensively would, would be probably... A bit more sturdy than Dyke Steele as well. Yeah, I think certainly, as you say, you know, um, Dyke Steele, and you know, I'm actually a big fan of Dyke Steele. I think, you know, he is often the player where he'll get the ball at the back and and sort of, you know, similar situations to the one that he misses on Saturday and, and Barnsley go through and, and score the third. You know, often he, he does make you sort of have your heart in your mouth a little bit and, and, and plucks out a turn or just plucks out a pass where you think, Oh God, he, he really is uh, making me sweat when I probably don't need to. But I think almost similarly to Joe Lumley in the formation that we play in and the way that we play, Dyke Steele, although he has been, you know, as usual, I agree. I, th- I think he's probably been, you know, poorer than we've come to expect from him over the past two years as of late. Um but I think he's still the best suited to that right centre-back role. It was more, you know, as, as Wilder's saying about, you know, shearing things up a little bit. I think Peltier would give you that in the back three. Someone more of a sort of traditional defender that is, you know, just want to head it and kick it and, and do the sort of basics of defending, which, of course, isn't a bad thing either. Um just moving sort of slightly on from the Barnsley game, I know a lot of the, the questions that we're about to go into are revolving around uh, situations that have occurred during the Barnsley game. To be honest, um, I know we said previously in the in the podcast, well, myself uh, have said, and I know you'll agree, Nathan, you know, we never intend to hone in on, on one player, you know, in a negative fashion, but we can only tweet out about, you know, uh, listeners' thoughts and, and questions that they might have, and it was a a resounding response that you know people wanted us to talk about the goalkeeper situation again. I think, firstly, you know, a lot of questions come in about why Solbrin was recalled. You know, given that he was having from everything we saw and, and the reports from Scotland, you know, a really, really solid first season in professional football. And now he's, you know, turning out for the under-23s where perhaps it would have been better to just keep him playing senior football. And to be honest, I think a lot of people thought when he was first recalled, actually, that, you know, if the if the poor form of, of both of our goalkeepers uh, continued, that had played up until the point when Bryn was recalled that actually he would maybe, you know, make a challenge himself for that number one spot. It, it does raise a few questions, doesn't it, Nathan? The fact that Bryn is now back at the club, but never really makes the match day squad at all. 
Yeah, it certainly does. Um, and it is an interesting question asked by plenty of people in the replies to, to that tweet. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very strange case with the goalkeeping situation. Um, Lumley probably needs to be taken out the firing line. Um, in the last few weeks, he hasn't done himself any favours, really. Um, I think he could probably do better with Semenyo's effort against Bristol City. I think he could certainly do better with Bassi's double on, on Saturday. Um, I've been quite sort of vocal on the podcast about his distribution being a, a lot better than Daniel's is. Um, but as shot stoppers, both very similar. Um, I think you could you could argue or, or toss a coin even which which one you'd take on, on that front. Um, but with Bryn coming back, he's he's now been back at the club for uh, two months now coming up and hardly making the match day squad is certainly very very strange um of course Stianovic was uh out the exit door in January which which meant we needed to keep back in the in the in the ranks really in case there was an injury to one of our other senior keepers but surely Brin's just not going to play third fiddle to to these two uh the the currently in the in the squad um I think he probably will get a chance really with the with with the uh performances that are being served up at the minute from from Joe Lumley um we do probably need a change uh in goal but then you can argue is it worth throwing a young young goalkeeper into the firing line in the middle of a playoff push where we're a club that is sort of half and half with the fan base where some fans sort of expect us to be in those playoffs and pushing now that we've went on this good run of form under Chris Wilder. And if Bryn makes a mistake, are fans going to get on his back like they do to Lumley or are they just going to turn a blind eye and say, oh, well, he's a young keeper? It's certainly an interesting argument to be made, but I think that you, really you don't see what happens until it happens, do you? So maybe it is worth an experiment and Bryn does deserve an opportunity. Yeah, of course we speak about Bryn and, and you know, rightfully so. There's always a, you know, if there is a certain position in the team where um, someone isn't performing up to the, to the sort of standards that you'd expect, you know, there's often a, a bit of a clamour for academy players to come through. Um, I think in terms of, of Bryn, although perhaps, and, and me included, to a certain extent, would like to see Bryn given a chance. And, you know, we have a cup game, although it's a, you know, a very big cup game um, against Tottenham and against some very dangerous opposition. It might be a chance to perhaps perhaps change that. Um, excuse the voice for me there, uh, Nathan. Um, but yeah, as I say, you know, it, it's 
it's a situation now for me where I look at it and I think I actually don't think should we put Luke Daniels in goal or should we put Solbrin in that either of them could do much worse than what Joel Umley currently is doing and you know it I, I, I don't like you know honing in on, on one player and, and really criticising but for me I've always felt like even since January that that's the one position that we are weak in um, I think it's quite apparent I think a lot of people have noticed that and, you know, as I say, should we make that change? Uh, you know, Daniel's played under Wilder. Um, he played early on under Wilder. And I, I think, as you say, it was his distribution that lost him his place in his team. Um, but, you know, there's also that argument of, well, should, uh, should Bryn come in um, instead of Daniel's that, you, you know, if, if he starts making mistakes you know, you're potentially risking, you know, ruining his confidence altogether. And, you know, if it really goes bad, and of course, if, if that does happen, we, we'd definitely be hoping that it would not. But, you know, if you ruin a goalkeeper's confidence that much at a certain age, you, you can potentially ruin a player's career, really. And for me, if we were going to see a change in goal, that's why I'd perhaps opt for Daniels. Um, although... I don't particularly think that given his distribution, and as you say, I think it's probably a toss of a coin between shot stopping between Lumley and Daniels um, in terms of ability. But for me, if if there was a change to be made, and to be honest, I do think it's at the stage now where probably it, it, there needs to be a change. I, I think it would probably be Daniels just purely edging uh, Bryn out because of experience more than anything. Um, so yeah, you know it, it's difficult for us, as we say, to to go so in depth about one position. But we aren't going to sort of shy away from the questions that we have been asked, and that was the, the overwhelming um, topic that everyone wanted us to to talk about. And you know, we spoke about it in the last podcast as well. So it's it is apparent that it is an issue, uh, and still surprising for me that we never strengthened that in in January. I don't know if there's anything that you, more that you would like to add on, on the goalkeeper situation, but I feel like we, we've covered it as, as best as we can there, to be honest, Nathan. Yeah, I think I think we have. Um, apart from, I'd just say about distribution-wise, if Lumley is, is edge, has got the edge on Daniels, I think Solbrin is a young goalkeeper where it's pretty much ingrained into young goalkeepers now that they need to be good and confident with their feet and their distribution. I'd like to just see how how good his distribution is, really. Um, if it's on a similar level to, to Joe Lumley, then I, th- I think that he'll probably get the edge on Daniels, if I'm honest. Um, but, yeah... I think that the defence as well just need to show themselves up a little bit, stop giving chances away so easily. Um, but yeah, I think from both of us, uh, it's a resounding yes that Joe Lumley needs to be taken out the firing line at this current stage. Yeah, and I think to be honest, that's uh, as best as we can talk about it. Um, 
you know, we've covered the other two goalkeepers. And, and as I say, you know, I think we probably a lot, a lot of people would agree with us saying, you know, it is slightly surprising that we never did target that area in January. You know, perhaps we did and we didn't quite manage to get things over the line. But of course, that's the, the situation that we find ourselves in now and we can't really change it, you know, due to the, the transfer window situation. Um, moving ahead, of course, uh, we, at the time of recording Monday night, of course, we have Tottenham at the Riverside tomorrow in the FA Cup. Uh, thanks to, you know, that, that victory against Man United, which I'm sure is still uh, largely in the memory of everyone. Firstly, Nathan, I'm going to ask you, and I, I think I kind of know, judging by some of your earlier um, answers in this podcast, is this a game that actually probably we don't need and in fact is a little bit of a, maybe it's actually more of, not a little bit of, actually quite a large bit of a free hit for the team tomorrow because given you know Luton's form and the defeat, it makes Saturday's league game all that much um, more greater. Um, yeah, do you think actually Tuesday's probably come at a bit of a bad time? Um, not necessarily at a bad time. Um, pretty much not at a bad time because of who we're playing on Saturday are also still in the competition. Um, so if Luton weren't in the next round like we are um, and, and playing in midweek like we are, I think that would be a hindrance. But they've got Chelsea on Wednesday, which will be a difficult game for them as well. Um, but as a championship side, going up against a, a, a very good Premier League outfit that have all the pressure piled upon them to win a trophy... They're quite a meme that they never win anything. And they've now got a manager that is a serial winner. And pretty much this is their last last chance of winning something this, this season. I think that piles all the pressure on them. It's a free hit for us. Uh, we can go into this game with nothing to lose. We've got a packed out Riverside there, of course. Uh, 30,000 in the Riverside Tuesday night under the lights on the on BBC One as well let's just see if we can uh, cause another upset and, uh, and shock the footballing world once again like we did at Man United earlier on in the year Yeah I mean it, it would be very nice but of course you then have to think of um you know, some of the opposition players that we're going to come up against uh, often, you know, we, I think I said this in the Man United podcast uh, prior to the Man United game, I should say, uh, you know, we sort of signal um, a few players that, you know, people that might, you know, just watch Middlesbrough games and not really take much of an interest in other championship affairs, um, just to sort of highlight some of the threats that, you know, opposition um, coming up might have. I don't really think we need to sort of highlight any of the players because Harry Kane, Hyungman Son, two of, if not probably, um, I was about to say two of the most informed players in the Premier League, but actually probably, if not the world at the moment. Um, as well as Kulusevski, who's coming from Juventus uh, in January and hit the ground running and assisting a goal against Man City and a goal against Leeds. 
Kane and Son to add to that. I mean, I don't think there's any uh, shortage of attacking threat that, that Tottenham are going to give us on, on Tuesday night. And do you know what? Because of the league position that they currently find themselves in, you know, they slipped up against Burnley, didn't they? After that massive win against Man City, um, their bitter rivals, Arsenal, of course, managed to put a few wins together and, and build up a bit of a gap between the two teams in terms of getting that fourth place. As you say, it's the last chance at silverware, but it's also the last chance of potentially getting European football through the cup competitions. So, you know, it it's actually a massive, massive game for them. And as you say, the pressure's all on them. Yeah, they have to come here and play well and break us down, which I can imagine Borough set up quite similarly to, to the way we did at Old Trafford, where we'll just try and counter-attack them, hit them on the break with our pace out wide, particularly Jones down that right. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a difficult task, 100%. They've got the England captain up front and one of them, well, one of, if not the deadliest finisher in, in the world um, up top there. Um, the front three, Kane, Son, Kulosevsky, as you say, all banging form. Um they had a great field field day, Ellen Road on 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 Saturday, um, which was was nice to see them be be three nil up after like twenty minutes. Ellen Road on Saturday, it's always nice. Um, but yeah, I think there will probably be changes to the to the eleven. Really, um, of course, the big tree is back from suspension, which. Thank, thank whoever's up there that he's back when he is because we, we've missed him, um, certainly. Um, not just in that midfield as a presence, but with the link up with Jones down that right-hand side as well. Um, I think we missed that very much on, on, on Saturday in particular, really, um, with, with Housen trying to fulfil that role. It just wasn't the same uh, sort of chemistry down that side. So I think we'll probably see Crooks uh, pick up a place back in the back in the eleven, really. But yeah, as I say, it's a it's a free hit against a side that have all the pressure on them. They need to come up north and and pretty much get a result by any means necessary. Um, let's just hope that we might have another hand of dunk moment. It would be nice, uh, certainly, wouldn't it? Uh, another moment like that. Um... And I mean, as much as we all like to, you know, keep our sensible heads on and, and think that, you know, Saturday is probably in the grand scheme of things, the more important game. It, it There's no feeling better really in football than knocking one of the big boys out of a, of any cup, whether that be the, the Carabao or the FA Cup. You know, it's always nice to cause a bit of an upset and especially in front of a, a, a packed Riverside and on TV as well in front of the, the footballing world. So I'm sure plenty will be tuning in um, to watch Isaiah Jones instead of the likes of Kane and Son. Um, we speak about Saturday's game and I think now we, we move on to it, of course, because of the, the time of recording. We are previewing both games in this podcast. A whole different task on Saturday against Luton. Um, but uh, nonetheless, a, a, an absolutely humongous game for our season. 
and all the more so because of Luton's recent form, won seven out of the last nine games, and, and because of that form in a you know, as of late, they, they beat um, Preston as well. They've leapfrogged us into sixth place in the championship, into the playoff places after really sort of being, you know, lingering around the table for the for the majority of the season. Now they, they'll come to the riverside and, and be the team above us. So, you know, I think nothing less than, than three points on Saturday is what this team needs, to be honest. Yeah, it's certainly what we want. Um, I don't have a good feeling about this one, if I'm honest. Um, since Luton came up to the championship, they've got an outstanding record against us, really. Um, with with fans in, um, I remember that that day they came to the Riverside under Woodgate. Um, Please just don't talk about that. I can't <laughs> from my memory. Yeah, I'm sure many people are still trying to remove that one from the memory. Um. But this is a bit of a different Luton town. Um, not necessarily in the personnel, but they've just got to grips with championship football outstandingly well and have really come from nowhere in this second half of the season. Um, as you say, beat, beat press. Uh, Derby. It was Derby, I'm sure, wasn't it, on Saturday? They played. Like it may have been Derby, to be fair. I may have got that wrong. But... Yeah. I'm sure it was Derby, yeah. Uh, beat Derby, which is always nice, but not not in terms of the league table at this current stage of the season for Middlesbrough. Um, but seven wins out the last nine, an outstanding start. Um, a really, really good run uh, put together by Nathan Jones's men. Um, but, yeah, they're a dangerous, dangerous side to come up against. Um, we saw earlier in the season uh, Elijah Adebayo up front, very good centre forward, um, strong, tall, physical, got a bit of pace about him as well. And yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a good finisher as well as that. Um, and, and up there with either one of Danny Hilton, Cameron Jerome or Cornick running off, running off uh, flick-ons from him and, and knockdowns. They've certainly got a, a very dangerous forward line. Um, playing as a back three as well. Cal Naismith's been outstanding. He's like a vers- vers- versatile utility man, can play everywhere. He used to play up front for um, for Portsmouth in League One a few years ago, but now plays at centre-half for Luton. So it, it, it's just a, a crazy uh, story with him. And, of course, Sonny Bradley as well, who... Just has a knack of scoring against Borough at Kenilworth Road. Hopefully that doesn't transfer over to the Riverside. But the last time they came to the Riverside, um, last season, under Neil Warnock, it felt like a big game then for Borough, really. Um, and we came away with a 1-0 win. Tuber Akpom scored that day. He won't be scoring Saturday. But, we would, but one of our forwards with a scrappy 1-0 win, would do us the world of good at this stage. Do you know what? You've just mentioned the name Tuber Akbom, and to be honest, despite the fact that he is still contracted at Millsborough, I'd completely forgotten he even existed. So, <laughs> I mean, Tuber, if you're listening or watching, I'm sure you're not. I hope you're well, mate, because I, I had actually forgot that he still played for the club. Um, <laughs> 
in terms of uh, you know the threat that they possess, it is quite clear. So you know Adebayo, as you say, twelve goals. Harry Cornick, eight, both of which uh, scored against Middlesbrough earlier on this season. And of course, um, the game that uh, Neil Warnock broke his, his managerial record in and then subsequently, you know, quite shortly after that was actually sacked. So hopefully there's no sort of managerial changes um, in, in the dugout in terms of Middlesbrough because yeah, that, would, that would be... In fact, do you know what? It's not even worth even mentioning because it's not going to happen. It's just me being terrified of the day that we actually lose Chris Wilder. <laughs> um, also, um, you may have noticed, for those that were, were watching on YouTube, I have just quickly checked on my phone. Nathan, you were correct. It was Derby County. Um, I was adamant it was Preston for some reason, but I, I'm wrong. So fair play, Nathan, for correcting me. Um and yeah, as as you say, you know, Luton hist- historically, I say, but in terms of you know recent history since they've come back up, have never been a good side for Middlesbrough team to play against. And actually, you know, quite ironically, I'd say Luton give me sort of Chris Wilder at Sheffield United vibes. You know, they they come up, stayed up in the first season, solidified, and then that second season they really had a good go at it. Um, and they, they they currently are, you know. They've got actually quite a strong squad. Um, you know, just some of the names, not sort of the standout goal scorers, but you know, you look at Henry Lansbury, often throughout his career has been, you know, one of the sort of more experienced, better players in the championship. Of course, I, I think he's a little bit below that level now. I don't want to curse us um, before he inevitably scores against us. But, you know, the, the names are there to be seen. And as you say, you know, Cal Naismith as well. Um, doing a, a splendid job at part of the back three, despite playing previously as a striker and I'm on the wing in his career. Quite a miraculous um, change in fortunes for him. Um, but yeah, there's certainly quality in that Luton team. And, you know, Nathan Jones has, has got them playing away where, you know, they've been as, as good as they have been in, in a long time, to be honest. So. It's a huge game. I don't think any more can be said about that. It's a game that, regardless of the result on Tuesday night, we have to put on a performance for. Otherwise, we'll be beaten. Um, it's as simple as that because, you know, Nathan Jones will have his Luton team ready to come to the Riverside and, and try and get a result. So, you know, it's on us to be out the traps quickly um, and, and try and hopefully, after fingers crossed getting a result against Tottenham prolonging that uh, home record that we have going on at the moment to I think that would take it to nine games if we got a result against uh, Tottenham which we're yet to see but yeah Nathan unless there's anything else uh, you wish to add um, I think that's us done for this week yeah I think it is I just fingers crossed in a week's time that we're, we're here Beaming from ear to ear after a ridiculous week for Borough in terms of results. We're yet to see what will happen, but it is always up and down in this fantastic world of supporting Middlesbrough Football Club. Nothing's ever easy and Borough are going to do it the hard way if we're going to do it. So we'll just have to wait and see, but yeah. Yeah, one more thing that it's just crept into my head just as I was about to um, sort of finish this podcast up. 
I don't think we mentioned it in the last podcast. We definitely talked about it in a very I mean if you if you can remember this then great memory and also thank you for watching these and listening to these podcasts throughout the season earlier on in the season Palmo uh, Palmo's in a bun out the riverside nowhere to be seen the back they are back at the riverside and surely that is some sort of sign from the gods that this is a you know a good time hopefully for Middlesbrough at the Riverside hopefully this week as you say Nathan and we'll I mean as always we've had some quite fierce debates about Palmo's um, on this podcast throughout the season just a simple question uh, question to end the podcast on Nathan will you be getting one when you are back at the Riverside do you know what now you mentioned it I really do fancy one but I've had the same routine for, well, since Wilder came in. Yeah. And I wasn't at the Preston game that we lost at the Riverside that Wilder came in. For, um, so I'm actually unbeaten at the Riverside. I was there for the Millwall game, but the rest we all won. So... Do I risk it? Or I think the easy, easy question is as a as a man, and you know, you're very much the same as me. We are, you know, setting our ways in terms of if we do start a, a run of wins or positive results, you you simply can't change it, to be honest. So I'm I'm actually gonna tell you that you're not allowed to get one as much as you may want one. And oh. you're just gonna have to deal with that, Nathan, to be honest with you. I'll take it. The uh, the uh, the run that I mentioned uh, earlier on in the in the season when we were playing Man United, the run of of, of me being at games and and um, and Boris still being unbeaten fell foul on Saturday, um, but the home record still stands. So hopefully, uh, two more scalps are added to that list uh, this time next week. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it will be some week and some podcast next week if we do manage to continue your unbeaten run at the Riverside uh, under Chris Wilder's management. Uh, I'll certainly look forward to that if we do, and fingers crossed that we can get two positive results going into a, a busy week for this Middlesbrough team. Hopefully they can continue um, the good form. You know, we should be realistic and say that we've only had a handful of uh, defeats, Nathan, so we can't be too down about it under Chris Wilder (laughs) but to finish up from me and Nathan as always uh, thank you very much for listening and watching whatever way you like to tune into this podcast I should say as always shameless plug do subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching on YouTube and give us a review if you are listening on the likes of Apple Podcasts or other audio platforms. But from me, Nathan, thank you once again. And that has been another episode of the Brockless Podcast. Hey, boy, 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 boy.